Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, friends. We've got a special episode for you tonight. The third installment of the ongoing saga, Rough Beasts. If you need to catch up, the first and second parts are Season 2's Episode 1 and Episode 6. But for those of you still locked and loaded, here are the cliff notes. As the 19th century ends, so does the world. Demons burst forth from the earth and swallow entire towns and winged creatures robed in smoke and ash soar through the skies. Enter the Rough Beasts. Rough Beasts. Beasts. A group of demon-killing bounty hunters. Abel, a trained killer with a sharp tongue and a fast trigger. Sutter, the beast's veteran voice of reason. Lila, a witch with the power to heal and destroy in equal measure. And Tip, the youngest and newest member of the Rough Beasts, who can manipulate objects by engraving strange glyphs onto them. Old Tep and the crew battled one of the crown, an archangel, and sent it packing, saving the town from annihilation. But not everyone in town saw it as salvation, believing the angel had come to set them free, and Tep had run their chance to ascend into heaven. A posse of zealous townfolk ambushed Tep and the crew. The beast managed to escape, but at a great cost. Lila was horribly maimed, her tongue cut from her mouth, and Tep's beloved grandfather Mose was hanged. And that, friends, is where we find the beast now, in the aftermath of that tragedy. 
Tep's mind is torn in three different directions. The grief of losing his grandfather, the blossoming love he feels for Lila, and the strange dreams that call him to the desert. Somewhere out in the sandy waste is the mysterious being known as the Torchbearer. He calls to Tep, promising answers about the apocalypse. But is salvation another trap? Tep is determined to find out either way. Consequences be damned. No problem, Chester. Never hurts to get a little primer. So smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, friends. Cause old Drew Blood has one hell of a tale to tell. And since that was a long goddamn opening and you already know the corporate rigmarole by heart, we'll skip it this week. So from author Ryan Harville, I give you... Rough Beasts. Uh, part 3. Tep woke but didn't move, afraid of waking Lila. She snored softly, her head resting on his pillow, their faces almost touching. He stared at the outline of her profile, the gloomy pre-dawn light bringing it into contrast with the rest of the darkened room. He wished he could stay there forever, with nothing in the world except the sight of her face and her soft breath against his cheek. But he had something that he needed to do before they left for the journey into the desert. And he had to do it before his resolve faded away. An image formed in his mind. A rooster, still sleeping out in the dark yard, accompanied by a sense of confusion. Sorry, didn't mean to wake you, he said. Lila stirred and opened her eyes. He didn't have to have her inside his head to know what she was thinking. I've got to see someone in town. Her brow furrowed with worry. I'll be fine, I promise, he said, trying to smile but failing. I don't think anybody has any fight left in them right now, even if they did want to start something. Granddaddy Mose rose up in his memory. He wasn't sure if it was his thought or one sent by Lila. In the dark before morning's light, he asked the question that had weighed on him since the funeral two days before. Lila, why? Why couldn't you save Granddaddy? Like you saved Sutter. She placed her hand on his stubbled cheek. In his mind's eye, he saw Lila and Granddaddy Moe standing opposite one another. A clock hanging in the air. A crack in the dusty ground between them. With each strike of the second hand, the crack grew wider and wider, until soon there was a ditch between them, then a valley, then a canyon. Too late and too far, she sent. He nodded. I figured as much, but I felt the need to ask all the same. I would have saved him if I could, I promise you. I know. I'm just still trying to figure out how all this works. She brushed a tear away from his cheek with her thumb, a tear he hadn't even known he had shed. You're not the only one. He nodded. I know that too. Gotta go now. Tep felt that it was a good time to kiss her. Truth be told, he had thought every minute since he met her was the right time, but never quite mustered the courage. 
He settled on saying, I, uh, I'll be back before you know it. Then promptly got out of bed to get dressed. Idiot, he thought, hoping he was far enough away from Lila that she couldn't pick up on it. But as he dressed, he swore he saw her smile. The sun was just clearing the horizon when Tep climbed a few steps to the porch of the Sullivan's home. Robert Sullivan was a rancher and Tep knew the man had probably already been up and at him for a couple of hours at least. He knocked on the door and waited. The door opened and there stood Sullivan's boy, Henry, his hair a ruffled mess of curls and his hands filthy with earth. Good morning, Master Henry. Tep said, giving his best, you ain't got nothing to fear, smile. Is your daddy around? Henry looked at him, his head tilted to one side, then bolted across the house and out the back door. After a moment, Sullivan came through the same door, and when he saw Tep, he stopped dead in his tracks. Tep lifted one hand in a wave, hoping the man wouldn't be too scared to approach. Seeing Sullivan brought the memories of the battle surging to the front of his mind. The pain of losing Granddaddy Mose was sharp, but the anger at seeing Sullivan again was dull and throbbing behind his eyes. Tep's hands itched for the revolvers hanging at his hips as Sullivan walked toward him through the hall. Good morning, Tep, he said, his gaze flitting from Tep's face to the guns, then back again. I, uh... Uh, I'm surprised to see you. Yeah, Tep said, with the fire of vengeance burning in his chest, threatening to engulf him. I'm surprised to be here myself. There was an awkward pause, then Sullivan spoke, his voice carrying a tremble with his words. If you're here to kill me, let's please do it somewhere else, all right? I don't want my family to have to see me like that. Tep's left eye twitched. His lips tightened. The guns would feel great in his hands, wouldn't they? Smooth grips against the palms of his hands. The weight of finality in his fists. I... That ain't why I'm here. Sullivan's lips parted in surprise. It... It's not? No. I'm here to tell you I'm leaving. And I don't think I'll be coming back this way ever again. You're leaving? Just like that? I thought you'd kill you and hunt down all the rest. Well, yeah. I ain't gonna leave Henry without a father. I was lucky enough to have my granddaddy growing up, but I'd have loved to have known my father, too. No, I ain't gonna do that to him. And I know granddaddy wouldn't want me to do nothing to bring him harm. Then why are you here? Tep sighed. <sighs> you were the only one to speak up yesterday. And Henry is a living testament to my granddaddy's good works. So I want you to take what you need from our farm. There's near 30 chickens out back. Lots of tomatoes needing to be plucked up and eaten. Jars of food in the pantry. Tools. Equipment. I just wanted you to know first before the rest of the town found out and started coming down like vultures. All I ask is that you make sure my granddaddy's grave ain't disturbed. Sullivan's eyes grew bright with tears. Thank you, Tip. That's... Thank you. 
I just want to say again how goddamn sorry I am. I got caught up by the yelling and hollering and they made it all seem downright reasonable. Like we had to protect the town. I was a fool. A damned fool. We were all fools, Tip said. Every last one of us. But I think even fools can learn to be wise if they try. Sullivan nodded. <laughs> I believe that too. Tip stuck out his hand, and after a brief hesitation, Sullivan took it in his own. Best of luck to you, Mr. Sullivan. And to you, Tip. Tip tipped his hat to the man, then started to walk back home. When Tip got back to the farm, Sutter and Abel were loading the last of the necessities into the back of the wagon. They were traveling as loud as they dared, sticking with a few changes of clothes each, some jerky and jarred vegetables, and as much water and bullets as they thought the horse could handle. They left enough space in the back to accommodate passengers, figuring they'd each need a break from walking at some point. Abel saw him walking up and grinned. Well, look at you. I thought you'd be sleeping in after all the racking I heard coming from your room last night. Tip felt heat rise to his cheeks. He was torn as to whether he should tell the truth or not. He didn't want Abel or anyone else's nose in his romantic dealings or lack thereof. But the truth was worse than that. He'd woken up twice after moaning and mumbling through nightmares of his granddaddy and the desert and the torchbearer. Lila had held him and comforted him as best she could. No, he didn't think Abel needed to know all that. It wasn't anything like that, Tip said. Just drop it, okay? What? Abel said. Come on, Tip. You've been sleeping in the same bed and all. Sutter walked up behind Abel and laid his hand on his shoulder. Let it go, Abel. Tip's a gentleman and he don't want to talk about it. But... And it's just none of your business, you prick. Abel shrugged Sutter's hand off, then faced Tip, his expression serious. All right, Tip, listen up. I like poking fun at you and joking around, because shit, it's funny. But I'm being serious right now. The world ain't waiting around on you. It's plain as day you two are sweet on each other, so do something about it. You both could have died not two days ago. The world is ending as we're standing here, and we're about to go traipsing through the goddamn desert after who the fuck knows what. You ain't got no time to be coy, my boy. Tip looked to Sutter, who could always be called the more reasonable of the two men. Sutter shrugged. He's right. What? Seriously? Death's always around the corner, young Tip. Even if it was the best of times and the world was all tall crops and warm rains, you never know when death's gonna come a-knocking. Enjoy life while you got it, that's all we're saying. Now, if the lady feels the same, then what are you waiting for? How would I know exactly? Tep mumbled, embarrassed. Abel laughed. <laughs> Ask her, you idiot. It ain't that simple. It really is, though, Sutter said. She says yes, or she says no, or she says maybe later. Either way, you get an answer. Tep shook his head. I don't know. Sutter tossed the last bag onto the wagon. 
I'll tell you what, Tim. Me and Abel here are going to start walking towards the foothills. We're going to keep a nice leisurely pace and enjoy the morning air. We are? Yes, indeed. And after we leave, you go and spend your time however the two of you like. When you're ready, just hop on the wagon and catch up to us. Wait, wait, Tip said. You're just leaving me here? Yep. Sutter and I need time alone to think and uh, strategize and whatever. So, you know, go find something else to do. Sutter slapped Tep on the back and started walking away. We'll see you after a while. Guys, Tep began to protest. God damn it, Tep. Get in there and talk to her and leave us be. You're interrupting our precious strategizing time. Besides, I don't want you marching to your death in the desert when you've never used your dick for more than pissing. I won't have that on my conscience. Absolutely not. Sutter sighed, as eloquent as ever, Abel. Tep opened his mouth to say something, anything, but nothing came out. Sutter and Abel were already off, their backs to Tep, their voices low and stitched together with barely suppressed laughter. Well, shit. Tip said, turning and walking to the house. He walked in, the only light coming in from the windows, the hallway stretching before him. Why was he more scared now than when a six-armed demon was trying to tear him apart? He took a deep breath and continued down the hall. Tep stopped in front of his door. It was open a few inches and through the small space he watched as Lila brushed her hair. She turned to face him as he entered the room her smile wide and welcoming. He stood in front of her, his hands only shaking a little. Thank God for small favors. Lala, I, uh, I was wondering. Shit. Tep floundered. Would you, I mean, do you? She untied the small knot that held her nightgown around her neck. The strings loosened and with a shrug of her shoulders, the gown fell and pulled at her feet. Lila placed her hands on Tep's cheeks and drew his face to hers. As their lips met, she sent a single word from her mind to his. Yes. Sometime later, they began their journey into the desert in earnest with Lila riding in the back of the cart and Tep walking along beside the horse. Tep wasn't sure how late it was or how much of a head start Abel and Sutter had on them. His mind was preoccupied with thoughts of Lila, the way her hair fell in a cascade as they laid upon the bed, the feel of her soft skin beneath his rough fingers, the way his thoughts were cut off by Lila's amusement. He could feel her laughter echoing within his head. Tep turned to look at her, squinting against the sun. Hey, he said, feeling his skin flush with heat. What are you laughing at? She shook her head, one eyebrow raised. Wait, were you putting those thoughts in my head, or was I actually thinking them? Lila shrugged. Her face gave nothing away. Well, don't bother yourself, Tep said. I think about you enough without your help. Her lips broke into a bright smile. Sutter and Abel were just ahead of them, sitting in the shadow of the foothills. When they reached the men, Sutter put the wood he had been whittling into his pocket and stood to greet them. I thought you two would be a lot further along, 
No, we decided to wait, rest up and all that. Abel hopped up from the rock he'd been sitting on. Good thing we did, too, he said. Oh, we'd walked halfway across the desert by now. I know we said take your time, but goddamn. I hope you saved some energy for the trip. Tep cleared his throat. I, uh, I'm sorry about the wait. Breakfast was... Abel roared with laughter. (laughs) Breakfast? Is that what we're calling it? Sutter glared at him. You gave me your word, Abel. You said you wasn't going to give him a hard time. I didn't. (laughs) Just jealous he got breakfast is all. I haven't had any in weeks. (laughs) Sutter sighed. (sighs) Come on, y'all. Let's get moving. Lead the way, Franklin, Abel said and patted the horse on its neck. Franklin? Yeah, so? He looks like a Franklin. Abel leaned close to the horse's ear. Don't worry, Frankie boy. I won't let Sutter sit his big ass on you. Sutter shook his head and grumbled. They walked out from beneath the sparse shadow of the foothills and into the bright vastness before them. Two days had passed. Sand had made its way into Tep's boots, making every step irritating, but he plodded on regardless. Abel sat in the back of the cart with Lila, staring at her so intently that Tep had to stifle a laugh. Okay, Abel said, his eyes squinted. Try again. Lila looked back at him, her expression one of a parent placating a child with too many questions. After some indeterminate amount of time, Abel threw his hands up. Damn it! I didn't feel a thing! Lila looked at Tip and shook her head, a bemused smile on her lips. Abel sighed. What's she saying? Same thing she's been saying for an hour. It don't work like that. Oh, come on! You two can talk back and forth and shit. Surely she can make me feel something. Let's go again, Lila. Okay. We tried happy. We tried sad. We tried angry. I'd say make me horny, but I can already do that on command. Lila's hand reached over and pinched his arm. Ah, goddammit, Lila. It was just a joke. That got Tep thinking. Wait, Lila. I think Abel may be onto something there. Her expression grew stern, the opposite of Abel's raised eyebrows and lascivious grin. No, not that, Tep said, raising his hands as if to ward off an attack. I mean, try something that's in his mind, but, you know, it's still physical. She raised one eyebrow. I don't know. Try... Try putting him to sleep, Sutter said, slowing his pace and falling in step with Tep. Abel snapped his fingers. Good idea, son. Come on, girl, do it. Lila sighed and focused her attention on Abel. They stared at each other. A moment passed. I don't think it's gonna work, Abel said slowly. He licked his lips. Why do I? He slumped over and both Tep and Sutter rushed forward to catch him before he fell. Sutter pushed him back upright and Abel's eyes flew open. (sighs) Holy shit! Yeah, Sutter said, giving him a pat on the back. You almost went ass over tits off the back of the cart. Damn, Lila, Abel said shaking his head back and forth. I said make me sleep, not bash my brains against the sand. Lila looked at Tep and shrugged. Tell him I'm sorry. Next time he should lie down first. 
She said next time lie down first, Tip said, wiping sweat from his brow. Next time? That sure as shit ain't gonna be a next time. Lila sent Tip an image of Abel dancing, his limbs suspended by puppet strings, his jaw flapping as he sang. Suddenly, the strings were cut and the Abel puppet collapsed into a heap. <laughs> Tip laughed before he could help himself. Abel glared at him. Hey, asshole, I'm trying to help here. I don't see nobody else volunteering to have her womanly voodoo worked on him. He quickly jumped off the back of the cart, mumbling under his breath. Tip took the opportunity to rest his feet a bit and hopped up on the cart. He suddenly had a strange longing for home. It had only been a matter of days. How could he be homesick already? Lila's voice emerged within his head. I know it's tough, leaving everything behind. I had to do it. Southern and Abel, too. But there's nothing for you back there. You know that, right? He looked into her eyes and nodded, thinking of Granddaddy Mose. He tried to imagine him in better times, working in his garden, or bent over his work table, etching away while Tep watched. But the image changed, and Tep saw him hanging, saw his dreadlocks loose and swaying. A light the color of fresh peaches filled his mind, along with the smell of honeysuckle. Lila's hands were on his cheeks. Tep, no. Don't do that to yourself. I don't want to. It comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden I'm back in town and helpless. I don't know how to stop it from happening. She thought for a moment, then nodded. Listen, I can stop you from thinking about his death. Well, whatever you just did helped. I felt calmer right away. Let me say it a different way then. I won't stop it, because that's not going to help. Not in the long run. You're going to have to find a way to cope eventually. And what if I can't? What if he just haunts me forever? I don't believe that. He was a great man and loved you more than anything. You're going to have to hold tight to that. Even when it hurts so much that you don't think you can stand it. There's going to come a day. Not soon, no. But the day will come where it doesn't hurt so much. But it's never gone, is it? She shook her head. No, it always hurts. Just not as bad. When I think about my family, the pain is still there. But it's faint. The screams are there. But it's like they're coming from somewhere off in the desert, not directly beside my ear. It gets better, I promise you that. He took her hand into his and squeezed it gently. I believe you. I... I can wait for that day. He sighed. Besides, what choice do I have? I've got nothing but time and desert. Her laughter bubbled up in his mind. That's the spirit. Later they set up camp as the sun set in a wash of orange and purple and ate a dinner of stewed tomatoes and okra. The biscuits were nearly stale, but were fine when dipped in the stew. Lila was asleep in the back of the cart. Tep had tried to sleep and failed, tossing and turning beneath his thin blanket. He climbed down from the cart as quietly as he could and made his way over to the fire where Sut sat alone. Tep nodded to the man, then sat down beside him. Can't sleep either? 
Nah, but that ain't nothing new. I always had trouble falling asleep. I've found it's best not to fight it. When I finally do feel like nodding off, I'll lay down then. He looked at Abel, who was snoring softly off the tip's left, a bit away from the fire. Unlike that one, who could sleep through a tornado. Set took a swig of whiskey, the scar on top of his shaved head glistening in the campfire light, then passed the bottle over to Tep. You got any idea how far we've got to go? Tep took a drink, shuddered, then shook his head. No idea. I was kind of hoping for a sign. No roads out here. No, like another dream, he said, handing the bottle back over. A vision. Something like that, yeah, he said, surveying the darkening horizon. Sut, have you ever been in love? The bottle stopped halfway to Sut's mouth. Pardon? Have you, you know, ever been in love? I just don't know if what I'm feeling is what I'm feeling. That doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. It's okay, Tip, Sut said, then took a drink. <sighs> just got me off guard. With my granddaddy gone, I don't really have anyone to talk to, and you... Tep looked over at Abel. You seem like my best option for a mature conversation. Sut laughed. <laughs> yeah, I get it. If you asked Abel, he's been in love dozens of times. But I still don't know if I'm the best person to talk to about this particular situation. How come? The man sighed. <sighs> I look at things realistically. And I'll be the first to admit that when it comes to matters of the heart, I'm jaded, to say the least. Tep considered this. So you have been in love? Yes, if you can call it that. What's that supposed to mean? I don't even think love exists, Sutter said, sighing. It's our brains telling us to reproduce, or to protect, or both. Then why does it feel... Good? Yeah. Because if it felt bad, no one would do it, Sut said with a laugh. <laughs> and there goes the population. Look, Tep, I ain't saying not to enjoy what you have going on here. By all means, squeeze whatever happiness you can out of this shithole of a world. I'm just saying that it ain't for me. Not anymore. Tep stared into the fire, watching the flames dance in the air. I just realized something. What's that? I fought beside you, all of you, with bullets flying in every direction. And I don't even know a goddamn thing about you. Any of you. Hell, I barely know anything about Lila and I... Lover? Yeah. You've got your head in the clouds for good reason. It's fresh, exciting. New love always is, and that's why it's hard to tell if it's truly love or lust. I don't envy you, Tep, because I have the luxury of knowing that love goes wrong. It always does in the end. By death or betrayal, love goes wrong, and I won't go through that again. Tep nodded. Okay, fair enough. You can't sleep, I can't sleep, and we're miles away from anywhere. 
Seems as good a time as any. For what? A story. Tell me who you are, Sutter. I don't think I'm drunk enough for that. Well, drink up then. Sutter eyed him warily. You sure about this? Never been sure. Okay, Sutter said. He took a long swallow of whiskey, then wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. <sighs> Let's make it a love story then. Sutter cleared his throat and began his story. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. We were somewhere in Louisiana, and it was slowly being reclaimed by the swamps, the water reaching over what could still be considered roads. You can build your civilization, the swamp seemed to say, but in the end it'll be swallowed up. I was once told the swampland was beautiful in its own way, but only fools speak of beauty, you know. A survivor would tell you what's true. If there is a such thing as true beauty then it only occurs when you're the last one standing surrounded by your fallen enemies. I believed this, but it was getting harder and harder to hold on to. And the reason, of course, was love. I never intended on loving her, but as the weeks on the road passed, I found myself doing just that. Kate was young, with dark hair and dark eyes to match. And though she wasn't yet 25 and I was edging close to 40, I loved her. I wanted to spend whatever time I had with her. That year was one of the best of my life. I still didn't believe it was possible, considering the previous 11 years had been spent just trying to stay alive and pushing people away so I wouldn't have to care when they died. After the rupture... When the skin of the earth had begun to split and burst forth its foul nectar, I believed death was imminent. But I stayed on the move, stayed alive, and death was relegated to the shadows. Always there, but avoidable if you were quick. A short trek through the overgrowth brought me to our camp. It was in a small town, a loosely connected group of mostly run-down buildings nearly surrounded by swamp. It was relatively easy to defend. Two points of entry, one on each side, both roads just high enough to stay dry. On my nights to keep watch, I often walked them, my eyes scanning the tree line until dawn. Me and Kate shared a building together the rest of the time. We'd cleaned it out and made it comfortable. It wasn't a home, 
but it was as close as we had come to one, at least until we had to move again. Further west, always west, like the rest of humanity. Staying anywhere east of Tennessee was suicide, and not the quick, painless kind a bullet could buy you either. Sean, the hired gun we had picked up in some backwoods Mississippi town a few weeks before, usually slept under the stars, either holed up in a tree or on top of one of the buildings with his bedroll. He was young as well, and much too happy for my liking. Anyone who smiled that much had something to hide. But, as usual, I was being pessimistic, and at the time, I admit I wasn't giving the kid much of a chance. I didn't like moving in groups, so there was a fair amount of resentment there. But as the roads got more dangerous, it became a necessity. Other than that, the kid just flat out annoyed me. I made it to our door, pulled back the bolt, and stepped inside. Kate was there, her cheeks flushed, a sheen of sweat on her forehead. Sean was there as well, looking much the same. Kate jumped up and ran to me and gave me a quick kiss on the lips. Welcome back. Did you run into any trouble? I am trouble, I said, looking from Kate to Sean. What's going on? Watch, Kate said, then performed some overly petty swaps and lunges with Sean's knife. Sean's been teaching me some moves. Well, Sean said, I wouldn't say teaching, but I might have been trying to show her how to defend against the blade. That's always something good to learn, I said, taking off my hat. Staying for food? No, thanks. Gonna walk the roads, see if anything's slinking up out the swamp. I looked flatly at him. Sure you can handle it? Patrolling at night has its own set of troubles. It can get real dangerous real quick. Sean smiled that bright, infuriating smile of his. I can handle it. Don't get cocky. I don't want to have to come running when you start screaming. Sean blushed. I'd made him angry and embarrassed, which was good. Both could do wonders to temper one's ego. He nodded to us both and left. Kate turned to me. Do you have to be so cross with him all the time? He is a good person, and I don't think he deserves that much scorn. We deserve what we deserve, I said, shaking the rain from my jacket. And if he wants to play at being brave, then he deserves to know the truth. Which is? Kate said, folding her arms across her chest. If he wants to survive long enough to grow a beard, then he needs to be cautious, because the world owes him nothing, but he owes it a death. She turned away from me. And what do I deserve? Me and him's about the same age. Do you think I'm green and fragile? I hugged her from behind. You deserve love. And will that make me tougher? My grip on her loosened. No. God help us, love makes us all weaker. But that's the trade-off, isn't it? Her smiles for me became less and less frequent after that conversation. Days passed and she grew distant. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was so set in my ways that it was harder to be happy, to recognize it, and try and hold on to it. I loved her, and she made me feel like there may be a chance for humanity after all, that we just might make it through the darkness. And what if there were light on the other side? 
What if the West was still as safe as the rumor said it was? My head was filled with these questions as I walked the roads one humid night. Cricket chirps rose into random choruses then fell silent only to rise again with the regularity of waves washing ashore. I realized that I couldn't hear any frogs and that worried me. Animals always fled before the demons advance. Maybe it was time to stop playing house and get moving again. A cry split the night and silenced the crickets. I turned on my heel and ran toward the sound. I reached the edge of the swamp, breathing heavily and looking everywhere at once. Then I saw footprints in the mud that led deeper into the swamp and lowered my lantern closer to the ground. By its yellow glow, I spotted a sun-bleached, faded blue bandana, half buried in one shallow boot print, and recognized it instantly. Sean, you damn fool, I said, drawing my revolver. What in the hell are you doing out here? I followed the tracks, weaving between trees and wading through ankle-deep waters. But no matter the conditions, I never lost the tracks. There was always a boot print between roots or a scrape of moss missing from the face of a rock. It wasn't long before I stopped, lifting the lantern high and raising my revolver as I fully realized my mistake. The tracks were easy to follow because they had been made that way for that very reason. I'd been set up, and it was my own damn fault. Should have known to never underestimate someone especially bastards who smile too damn much. Drawn to the light of the lantern, demons came out of the shadows of the swamp. I'd broached the edge of whatever served them as a camp. Some slunk on all fours, sixes or whatever. Others walked as upright as a man. A cry went up and all of their eyes were on me. I knew I couldn't shoot my way through that many so I gave myself space to retreat. I flung the lantern at a nearby tree. It struck the bark and splashed burning oil in a wide arc. As disfigured and misshapen as they are, demons are still flesh and they burn all the same. Some ran heedless through the fire and came for me. I aimed and fired, the revolver thundered, and the nearest demon's head exploded like an overripe melon. I thumbed the hammer back and fired again, catching one of the bastards in the shoulder and sending him spinning to the mud. I turned and fled, banking left without slowing and punching through a layer of undergrowth. The trees were thick through there, their roots intertwined and I knew they'd have trouble following. I stepped silently as I could, weaving between trees and standing water. A demon sprang from my right, lunging towards me, with sharpened bone claws raised. I stepped back awkwardly and fell, landing with a splash, my revolver slipping from my grip. Cool swamp water filled my boots and soaked into my jeans. The demon leapt on me, scratching and biting. I pulled my knife from my boot and thrust the blade underneath the shelf of the demon's jaw. Black bile-smelling blood rushed over my hand in a hot rush. I got to my feet just as the second one attacked. I swung my knife, aiming for its throat. 
The demon dodged the swap, then lunged forward. I sidestepped and grabbing the thing's wrist, jerked it skyward as I swung my blade around, burying it deep in the demon's belly. Its growls were soon followed by silence as I brought my blade up, unzipping its guts. Gnarled loops of intestines splashed down into the standing water. The faint crackle of thin roots being trampled underfoot came from my right. Stealth was no longer an option. I pulled my revolver from the bloody water and prayed the powder in the shells was still dry. I fled, holstering the gun and rushing headlong toward the road. When I got to the edge of camp, I could hear the rustling of demons. They were quietly making their way up from the west, using the brush to stay hidden. I panned to the east, hoping that I wouldn't be caught in a pincher, and made my way into what was left of the town. Through the window of the house we shared, I saw Kate and Sean together in every sense of the word. I looked away, the blood rushing hot to my face. Too many questions, but the one that mattered the most to me right then. Did she know about the ambush? As I wrestled with that, the demons had gotten closer. Within moments, they would have the building surrounded, all the while the two of them would remain oblivious. The boy was no survivor. A survivor would never have let himself be surrounded because of sheer idiocy or lust. It seemed he had dropped his instincts when he dropped his pants. Demons came around the corner and I took aim and blew the head off the one closest to the building. Instead of triumph, I felt only relief that the shell still worked. Kate and Sean heard the shot and quickly got to their feet. To Kate's credit, she jumped up with only her nightgown on, grabbed her rifle and ran for the door. Sean, the idiot boy, was attempting to get dressed and failing. I continued the attack, choosing my shots carefully, killing the closest of the demons first. Sean stood up and looked around. His hands were on his head, his face flushed and sweaty. I couldn't tell what it was, but the boy was repeating something over and over. But I knew that look. He was panicked, and he would run. And run he did. Sean pulled his revolver out and hesitated. Don't do it, boy, I remember thinking. If you do it, you're damned. When Sean saw Kate was in his way, he fired. Kate's knee blew out in a burst of blood. She fell, toppling out of the door and off the edge of the porch, hitting the ground. The coward jumped over her and ran toward the swamp. All thoughts left me. All emotion fled. I was all instinct. A predator. I have never been that focused before. My next five shots were perfect, each taking a demon down. There was one left. I aimed and fired, only to be rewarded with a click. It roared at me and charged, the sound echoing between the buildings, and I ran for Kate. I lunged for her rifle, grabbed it and swung the barrel around, but was too late. The demon slammed into me, and I struck the side of the house, dazed and reeling. It set its sight on Kate and lashed out with its black claws, and she screamed. The rifle had landed in my lap, and I raised it up to my shoulder and fired. 
My first shot missed. My next two didn't. The demon lay dead, and I stood and walked to where Kate lay broken and bleeding. James? She said slowly. Thank... Thank God you're here. Help me, please. I surveyed her wounds. She had multiple cuts, but the one in her thigh was the worst. There was a lot of blood like an artery had been cut. James? She moaned. Please, James, do something. I never meant to hurt you. I leaned close to her, my eyes filled with tears, and placed my hand on her cheek. You've done worse than hurt me, I said standing. You made me believe that there might be more to our life than just killing and surviving. You made me believe that maybe, maybe, everything might turn out all right after all. But I was right all along. There is no reason for anything. No, James, please. I looked down at her one last time. Stop your begging. Try and die with some dignity. With her cries and pleas echoing in my ears, I walked away. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Night fell as I searched the swamp, and it was probably for the best. 
I didn't know if the night would be dark enough to cover what I did, how I left her there, the last words I spoke to her, but it comforted me all the same. There was the faint scent of coming rain. I had to hurry before it disturbed this trail. The coward had run east. It had been two hours, but I knew I could track him. I had to track him. I couldn't see past him. Couldn't imagine a world where he got to walk away from this. He tried to get me killed, and the two of them... No, he had to die. There weren't no way around it. Another hour passed, and the rain had come in strength. I knew he was close. I stopped in a small clearing among the trees. Sean! I cried. I know you're here, you yellow-bellied piece of shit! Come out and face me! Or I will hunt you down like the diseased dog you are! Sean emerged from the undergrowth, muddy and shirtless. While this anger, old man, you want to drop me just for keeping a woman satisfied? He was trying to make me emotional and sloppy. Maybe he wasn't as dumb as he looked. Sean continued. It had been going on for months, you know. She said you were too cold, that no matter what she did, you wouldn't thaw. Boy, you got a mouth on you, but I bet you're scared all the same. Sean laughed. <laughs> you don't know shit. I smiled. It felt wrong on my face. Well, I know you're a coward shooting a woman down just to save your own sorry ass because you're afraid of the truth above all else. And what is the truth? Tell me. The truth, I said, removing my gun belt and drawing my blade, is that you're too cowardly to face me right now in the rain, blade to blade. I ain't stupid enough to be goaded into a fight. I doubt that, because you were stupid enough to cross me, so I don't think you fully understand what I'm saying, in which case I'll talk slower. If you face me and win, that's it. It's over. But if you run now, I'll hunt you. There will be nowhere safe, no place where you won't hear my footsteps behind you, and I'll draw it out just for fun. Or you can test your skill. So are you a predator or prey? Sean smiled his infuriating smile and drew his own knife. He strode toward me. I'm going to enjoy this. He rushed me as I expected. I took a step back and used the boy's momentum against him, throwing him to the ground. He quickly rolled back to his feet. He attacked again, bringing his knife around in a slash. I blocked it, then delivered a kick to the coward's gut. His breath came out in a loud rush. I backed away. Are you enjoying it yet? Sean growled and came at me, swinging his blade. I expected a response, but wasn't expecting him to be that fast. I dodged the first three swings, but the fourth caught me on the face, slashing my lip open. Sean pushed his advance, using my surprise as an advantage. 
I fainted to the left, then brought my blade around the boy's right arm and sliced him twice across the chest. He fell back, holding his free hand to his wounded chest, his blood quickly mixing with the rain. Enough playing around, he cried. When you're bleeding out, remember you asked for this. He charged me. I spun away, but knew I wouldn't be able to dodge all his swipes for long. I ducked under the next one, but the follow-up cut into my arm, numbing it from my elbow down to my fingertips. I dropped my knife in the dirt, and Sean immediately went for my throat. I stepped right, and the boy's blade stabbed through nothing. Sean stood up and brought his knife down in an overhead stab, undoubtedly hoping to end the fight right then, but all he managed to do was lodge his blade into the ground. I rolled away, grabbed my knife, stood and planted the blade in the side of his neck, and withdrew it just as fast. Blood came out in a torrent. Sean dropped his knife and put both hands on his wound. I walked calmly over to my gun belt, strapped it back on, and drew my revolver. Well, Sean said on his knees, his voice little more than a rasp. Looks like you won. Yeah, I said, and leveled my revolver at the coward's head. Wait, he croaked. Just wait. For what? There's nothing left to say. The coward's eyes grew wide with shock. This... This isn't justice. I put the end of the barrel against his forehead. You're right. It's revenge. I squeezed the trigger. And that was the end of that. Sutter stopped talking and took another drink from the bottle, finishing the rest of the whiskey in a single gulp. James, Tep said, staring at the man. Hmm? Your first name is James. Sutter looked around, eyebrows raised. After all that, that's all you got to say? Tep shrugged. I asked you to tell me who you are, and you told me. You're James. Yeah, but... If you're thinking I'm going to judge you or something, you're wrong. It's not my place. Sutter shifted uncomfortably. I just thought maybe... Maybe if you knew what kind of man I really was, you'd think less of me. You stood beside me when I needed you. Tep said, and you were a friend of my granddaddy, and even if that weren't enough, you chose to follow me out into the desert because of a goddamn dream I had. I don't know about the man you were ten years ago or whatever, but I got a good idea about the man you are now. Sutter nodded. I, uh, I'm feeling a bit tired after all. I think I'm gonna turn in. Tep wasn't sure if it was just a firelight, but he thought Sutter's eyes had gotten shiny in the dark. I'll see you in the morning then, Tep said as he stood, then turned to walk away. Hey, Tep. Tep stopped and looked back. I told you before, enjoy it while you can, and I mean that. But be careful, okay? Because one way or another, it's going to end one day. Tep nodded and returned to the cart. He climbed up, wrapped himself in his blanket, and nestled against Lila, and waited for sleep.
Hey, y'all wake up. Cap lifted his head, eyelids still heavy. Wind roared in his ears. What? What's going on? I said wake up. Abel yelled again and kicked the side of the car. We got some crazy shit going on. Tep sat up and got to his knees, brushing the blanket aside to get to his gun belt. He pulled both of his revolvers and tried to look in every direction at once. Sut walked over, his rifle gripped in his fist. What's all the hollering about? Holy shit. Ahead, the horizon was gone, replaced by a wall of wind and sand. That's the biggest goddamn sandstorm I've ever seen, Sutter yelled. We're going to have to upend the cart and shelter behind it as best we can. Tip slitted his eyes against the errant whips of sand. I can't even see the sunrise. Sunrise was an hour ago, Abel said. The storm is just that thick and it's getting closer by the minute. Lila hopped down from the cart and looked up at Tip. This isn't natural, she sent. There's something causing the storm and it ain't wind. The horse rose up on its hind legs, voicing his panic. Abel ran to him, then stroked his back. Easy, Franklin. Easy, boy. Y'all, we can't just leave him like this. Ain't got no other choice, Tip said. Untie him and let him take his chances running. Hey, Lila, wait! Lila walked toward the storm wall, one hand in front of her face to shield her eyes, her blouse rippling in the wind. Tep jumped off the cart and hit the ground running. Lila! She paused, turned to him, and gestured for him to follow. He holstered his guns and ran to her. What are you doing? He said, grabbing her shoulder and turning her to face him. Already the sand was scouring his cheeks, his hands. We have to go back! She shook her head. We need to push on. Don't ask me how I know, but I do. Are you crazy? The sand is cutting like glass, and in a few more minutes you won't even be able to see where you're going. Her expression hardened. If you trust me, get behind me. If you don't, then let me go. He released his grip on her shoulder, shame bringing heat up to his face. I... I trust you. Lila turned and Tep got behind her, as Sutter and Abel's cries followed them. Within moments, the sand was like a moving wall. Tep huddled behind her as best he could, but the wind still found them. He lifted his head to look over her shoulder, gritting his teeth against the wind. He wanted to shout at her, make her see that this was foolish at best and suicidal at worst. Tep stopped to do just that, but Lila kept her slow, plodding pace. As soon as he was out from behind her, the wind pushed him to the ground. He flailed like a tumbleweed, his fingers digging at the ground for purchase. Sand was driven into his mouth and nose. A hand grabbed his. He looked up, squinting against the onslaught, and there was Lila pulling him up. He found his feet and stood. You must stay behind me, she sent, turning away. If you don't, the wind will catch you again. Tep nodded and fell behind her. Time passed, but Tep couldn't tell how much. Everything that wasn't Lila's back was a brown and gray muddle. But little by little, the wind grew weaker and the sand stopped stinging his hands. And before long, he realized he could hear his own breathing again. He lifted his head, opening his eyes, and was struck dumb. Before them was paradise. 
lush grass spread in all directions, dotted by tall trees, most of which he couldn't have identified under threat of death. From somewhere nearby came the sound of running water. Lila, Tip said, finding his voice. Are we dead? She shook her head. I don't think so. I think I'd feel a lot worse if I was dead. Are you okay? He nodded slowly. I guess I am. Oh, God, your face. Most of one cheek was red and raw, spreading down to her chin, drops of blood forming and running. It looked like the worst sunburn Tep had ever seen. It's fine. She sent. She closed her eyes, her eyebrows nearly meeting in the middle as she concentrated. Pinpricks of light shone from her pores, and as Tep watched, her skin grew paler, grew whole again. His own face felt tingly, and as he raised his hands, he saw they were glowing faintly as well, the scoured skin smoothing out, the pain disappearing. How? How are you doing this without touching me? I don't know, Lila said. It's like... She stopped, then smiled the most radiant smile Tep had ever seen. I can talk, she said. You can talk, Tip said, the only thing he could say. Lila jumped into his arms, and they held each other tightly. Tip found himself praying to a god he didn't believe was listening, but he prayed all the same. Please, just this, just her. It's all I want. It's the garden, a voice said. Tep pulled away from Lila, and his father's revolver was in his hand almost as if by magic. He aimed at the stranger. The man was dark-skinned, not like Tep or even half-black like Abel. Had to be Indian as far as Tep could tell, and could have been thirty or sixty. He was barefoot and bare-chested, and wore a faded pair of jeans. His long black hair fell past his shoulders. I did not mean to frighten you, the man said. You have my sincere apologies. Who are you? Lila said. And and where the hell are we? I am Thorns hold the enemy. But uh, you may call me Thorn if it's easier for you. Tep lowered his gun. That voice, he said, his mouth dry. You're him. The torchbearer. The man smiled. No, I am not. It was I who called you, but it was on behalf of another. If you follow me, all will become clearer. Come. Tep looked at Lila. Are you sure? She nodded. We've come this far, haven't we? Okay, he said to Thorn. We're ready. This way. They followed Thorn down a path that ran through a field of flowers. Every color Tep could imagine was on display, and some he couldn't. Mr. Um, Thorn? Lila said. Thorn looked at her over his shoulder. Just uh, Thorn is fine. Okay, Thorn. I'm not an expert on flowers or anything, but these... These are... Amazing, aren't they? Everything grows in the garden. Things that were. 
things that are and uh, things that will be. Well, that's not confusing at all, Tep said under his breath. It's best not to think about it, Tep, Thorn said. It can get confusing very quickly. We're almost there. The path ended in a clearing of short grass, and in the middle was a large tree, its branches and leaves providing shade for the entire clearing. At the base of the tree sat a man in a rocking chair, his legs covered by a blanket. That's gotta be the oldest man I've ever seen, Tep thought. He looks 40 years older than Granddaddy ever did. The man in the chair rocked slowly, the slight breeze blowing his thin, wispy white hair behind him. His roomy eyes stared at nothing. Thorn approached the man and laid his hand on the old man's shoulder. I have returned, and uh, I've brought our guests. The old man stared at Thorn. You're back he said. And... And who are you? Thorn sighed. It's Thorn. I've brought our guests, remember? Young Tep and uh, Miss Lila. Ah, the old man said. The rough beasts, yes? And W.B. Yeats? <sighs> That's a good one. He shook his head. No, no, no. It's too early for that one. Too early. Not for another... 25 years, maybe. What year is it now? It was Thorne's turn to shake his head. He then looked at Tep and Lila. I'm sorry. Some days are better than others. Tep nodded, having no idea what the hell was going on. Uh, regardless, Thorn said, let me introduce you to the torchbearer. But, uh, you may call him Lucifer. Who? Lucifer said, glaring at Thorn. You, Lucifer, Thorn said, patting the man's hand. I was uh, introducing you to Tep and Miss Lila. Ah, okay, Lucifer said. <sighs> and uh, who are they? Thorn shook his head. Tep, Lila, I need a favor of you. It will make this much easier. Wait, 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 Tep said. This is... is... The devil? Lila finished. Thorn nodded. Prometheus, the Lightbringer, the first teacher. Yes, it is him. I think I need to sit, Tep said. This is a lot. Right here, please, Thorn said, gesturing to the grass beside Lucifer's chair. Tep slowly sat down, unsure of how close he wanted to be to the devil. And uh, Miss Lila, on the other side, please. Lila did as she was asked, looking to Tep like she had much less trepidation than he had. Thorn sat to his left, in between Tep and Lila. Now, 
Thorn said, reaching out to each of them. If you would all join hands, you want me to hold the devil's hand? Tep said, eyeing the old man. Yes, please. Tep reached up and slowly took Lucifer's hand into his own, as Lila did the same on her side. Thorn gripped each of their other hands in his. Thank you both for forming this circle. It will aid in... <sighs> Lucifer took in a sharp breath, then exhaled slowly. His eyes focused on Thorn. Thorn? He said, the quaver once in his voice now gone. Yes, master. I am here, and I've brought your guests. Lucifer's gaze fell on Tep. It's good to see you, boy. He said, smiling. You've grown up. I've always been watching, but I can't always remember. He trailed off, then looked at Lila. And look at you. Just as pretty as your mama. My, you've grown up too. Thorn, when did they get so big? Thorn's eyes were bright with tears. I don't know, but it's good to see you again. Lucifer looked confused. Why? You've been somewhere? No, Thorn said. I've been right here, by your side, as always. Ah, Lucifer said. Well, let's get to it then. This circle won't last forever. You've done well, Tep, my boy, and made me proud. Um, thanks, Tep said. But I don't think I've done much besides walk across the desert. You've done more than you realize, Lucifer said. This is hard to explain. See time itself. It's... He lost his words for a moment, then looked to the tree. Let's try this a different way. Time is like this tree. Many branches, forever growing and spreading. Now, an experienced gardener knows which branches to cull, which to leave alone, which to guide. Do you both understand? Tip and Lila nodded, though he wasn't sure if he was getting it all. Maybe, Thorn interrupted. Maybe you should start at the beginning. Of time? Well, not that far back. In the beginning there was darkness, Lucifer began. And the being you call God emerged from that darkness. He traveled and traveled and eventually stumbled upon this solar system and seeded life here. On Earth. Lila leaned forward. How did he do it? Lucifer raised an eyebrow. If I remember correctly, he found the ingredients needed on whatever rocks were nearby and tossed the rocks down to Earth. After that, it was just a matter of waiting, really. Tep shook his head, his patience wearing thin. What are you talking about? This is insanity. We've walked days to get here, and we're talking about God throwing rocks. Tep, Lila said. Let him finish, please. I'm sorry, Lila, but I don't get what this has to do with anything. 
He looked at Lucifer. We fought an angel, killed little kids with eyes like a goat. Sutter damn near died and my grandfather, Teb's voice broke. My grandfather was hanged for what we did. Just another dead man in the grand scheme of things, right? So tell me, Lucifer, why are we here? Lucifer leaned close, close enough for Tep to feel the man's breath upon his face when he spoke. You thought this was your story, didn't you? Is that why you're so angry? You, dear Tep, are here to make sure Lila got here, safe and sound. Me? Lila said, shocked. What do you mean? Thorn spoke up. Let's all take a deep breath and gather ourselves. He squeezed Tep's hand. Can you do that? Tep was still shaken but nodded. Let's speed things along, Lucifer said, sitting upright. I don't know how long I'll be. I'll be lucid. If time is like the tree, then I am the gardener. But the tree has a life and a will all its own. Free will, if you like. I can make certain adjustments, but cannot control it entirely. So, with the end coming, I made such adjustments, and here you are. Lucifer smiled broadly, as if that had explained anything to Tep. What sort of adjustments? Lila asked, her fascination plain on her face. The kind that ruined my mind, Lucifer said. But don't get me wrong, I am old. But I gave almost everything to the tree, the garden. I gave my language, he said, looking at Tep. My knowledge of shapes and forms, so that those like you could protect yourselves. He turned to Lila. And I gave my knowledge and influence over living things to those like you. But how did you know we would come? Lila asked. That Tep and I would be here, right now. I didn't, Lucifer said with a shrug. As it got closer to time, I thought it was going to be Tep's mother and grandfather. But that obviously didn't come to pass. Because as much as I'd like to, I can't control everything. Humans definitely have a mind of their own. So when the two of you met, I made some adjustments. Thorn made some calls, and once again, here you are. So that's the how, but not the why, Tep said. What are we supposed to do to stop the apocalypse? Lucifer laughed. <laughs> Stop it? You can't. The best we can hope for is to slow it down and give the garden time to heal, to grow. In time, what's left of humanity can live here, free from fear, just like in the old days. But can't we all come here now? Tep said. 
What's stopping us? The storm, Mila said. Lucifer nodded. It's a natural barrier and out of my control. I am too weak to stop it. But in time, it could be done. The only reason Lila survived is the gift I gave her. And the only reason you survived is because of Lila. Which brings us again to why you're here. I need you, Lila. To take my place. To become the gardener. Lila's mouth bobbed open but no words emerged. I will teach you what I can, Lucifer continued, with what time I have left. After this circle is broken, I don't know how long that might be. Then the garden will be yours to protect, to nurture. In time, you can invite them all home, whoever is left. How long? Lila managed. How long will it take? Lucifer shook his head. Time is different here. A hundred years? You want us to stay here for a century? With people out there dying every day? Do what you can to help them, Tep, Lucifer said solemnly. Because you cannot stay here. Tep surprised himself by laughing. <laughs> what are you talking about? The garden is weak and can't sustain us all. It has barely kept me and Thorn alive this long. You're out of your mind. I'm not leaving Lila. We all must make sacrifices, Tep, Thorn said. If any of you are to survive... And what have you sacrificed, Lucifer? Besides my entire existence bringing knowledge to humans when God left them to fend for themselves? Lucifer looked to the tree. I watched as my wife, my Lilith, died. <sighs> Gave all that she was to the garden so that we may have the time we have now. Without her sacrifice, the garden would have died a thousand years ago. So I know, my boy. I know. Tep felt his eyes get hot, felt a single tear run down his cheek. You had lifetimes with Lilith, he said, then looked at Lila, her face streaked with tears as well. I've had days. And that is the problem, Tep. I never expected you two to love each other. Never saw that coming at all. So you can imagine my surprise when Thorn brought three of you here. Lila slowly looked down, her eyes widening. You mean, I'm... With child, yes. How can that be? Lucifer laughed. <laughs> I think we both know how that came to be. But it's so soon. 
there's no way to tell. I can tell. And if you concentrate on it, so can you. Lila closed her eyes as Tep looked on in shock. A moment passed. She opened her eyes, smiled, and nodded to Tep. It's true, she said. I can feel it. Tep had thought about this moment before, of the possibility of becoming a father, but never seriously. After all, the world was dying, so what right did he have to bring a child into this mess? So you want me to leave Lila and my child and never see them again? I can't. I won't. But you must, Thorn said. If Lila and the child are to survive, and through them the garden, then you must go. Yeah, and what the hell are you going to do? Thorn looked at him with wet eyes. I must escort you back through the storm and be your shield. It is a journey that I will not survive. Tep shook his head. So, devil, you're just going to let him die? To save what we can of humanity, yes, Lucifer said. We both knew that one day he would have to give up his long life. We didn't know how, but we knew. Tep let go of both of their hands and stood. Fuck you both. I won't do it. Lucifer looked up at him. Then we're all fucked, he said. Tep turned on his heel and made it ten steps before Lila grabbed him by the arm. Tep? What? You want to go through with this? Lila, I can't leave you. I just found you. You think it's not tearing me up inside, too? She said. You think I want to stay here without you? Absolutely not. I don't have a choice. There's always a choice, he said, taking her hands into his own. We can go back, figure something out. But she was already shaking her head, and he knew he'd lost her. No, Tep. If we go back, how long will we have? How long will any of us have if I stay? then there's a chance for humanity. And no matter how much I love you, I can't condemn everyone who is or ever will be to death. You... You love me? Of course I do, she said and pulled them to her. They held each other. Tep wasn't sure how long it lasted, but when they separated, he knew it wasn't long enough. Lila, listen to me. I will see you again. Tep, she said, nearly choking on a sob. Don't. We both know. We don't know anything, he said, harsher than intended. We've got the word of a senile old man, who by all historical accounts shouldn't be trusted in the first place. I don't care what he says. I will make it back to you. She smiled, tears on her cheeks. I will wait for you, she said and placed his hand on her stomach. We will. He nodded, his own tears falling freely. <laughs> I love you, Lila. Remember that. She nodded. Now get. The world ain't gonna save itself. Tep squeezed her hand, then walked back over to where Lucifer sat, Thorn standing beside him. Take care of her, Tep said. Or I swear. There's no need for threats, Lucifer said. 
The garden will take care of her and the child after I'm gone. They will be the safest beings on the earth. Tep nodded. Then I only need one more thing, then I'll leave. And what is that? You said the end is going to come no matter what, right? Yes. But you never said why. Lucifer sighed. When God walked away, he left instructions to me and my brothers. What you call archangels. If certain milestones, let's say, weren't met, then we were to cut our losses and follow him. Time has run out. Humanity hasn't ascended. And here we are. What do you mean, ascended? It doesn't matter now. The clock has struck twelve, and what's left of my brothers are on the warpath. There were seven of us before I rebelled. Given how slowly the end has progressed, I don't think the other six are working together, or some at all. Or you'd all be dead by now. For that, we are lucky. Tep's mind was a blur of thoughts that he couldn't hold on to, so he simply nodded. I'm ready when you are, Thorn. I need a moment. He looked at Lucifer. To uh, say goodbye. Tep walked back to Lila and kissed her before she could say anything before any more tears could fall. The shortest minutes of Tep's life passed, and he followed Thorn out of paradise and into the storm. The wind howled around them. Sand bit into his flesh again, but he felt none of it. Eventually, the wind died and Thorn's steps slowed. Tep raised his head to see the desert, the same as when he had left. Thorn turned to him, smiled, then collapsed. Thorn! Tep cried, falling to his knees and catching the man before he hit the ground. <sighs> it's okay, Thorn said. Most of the skin was missing from his face, and one of his eyes had become milky and opaque. <sighs> I knew what would happen. I knew it was my last journey. But I had to make sure you made it out. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me safe. Don't thank me yet, he said, his voice growing softer. What do you mean? Your story isn't over. Lucifer, as much as he means to me, is confused. He sees timelines that have been and never will be. He's short-sighted, putting the last of his hope in the garden. He can't see past it. It's true there must be a new gardener. 
But that doesn't mean humanity just has to wait around to see who's left when the dust settles. A spark of hope flared within Tep's chest. Tell me what I have to do. Gather them. As many as you can. All in one place. Who? People. Any of them that will listen. Make them follow you. When there are enough, they will come for you. Lucifer's brothers. You will be a beacon. Draw them in and stop them. Stop them? How in the hell do I do that? You will find a way you have before. Temp bit his lip. I don't know if I can do this, Thorn. What if I just end up getting a whole lot of people killed? People who might have made it on their own. Thorn held his hand, his one good eye staring into Tep's. If you ever want to see Lila again in your lifetime, you will find a way. I believe in you, Tep. Make them listen. Be there, Moses. Moses? What? Thorn's skin turned gray as ash. His head lolled back, and within seconds he was gone. The sound of hooves pounding sand came from behind them. Tep turned to look. Chip! Abel cried, reining the horse in and stopping. Where the hell have you been? Me and Franklin have been searching for days. I, Tep said, but lost the thread. It's a long story. Wait, Abel said, his expression grave. Where's Lila? Tep shook his head. She's, she's okay, safe. I'll explain later, I promise. Where's Sutter? Back at the cart. We made a lean-to, and I've been taking Franklin out to search as much as I could. Jesus, Tep, I thought you were dead. If it wasn't for Sud insisting you weren't, I'd have high-tilted out this damn desert by now. You ready to get out of that pile of sand and go? Tep looked down. Thorn's body was gone. All that was left was dust. He stood and brushed his hands off. Yeah, I'm ready. We've got work to do. Abel scoffed. Huh. <laughs> Bit too hot out for work. What have you got in mind? Tep looked up at Abel and smiled. We're going to lead our people to the promised land. And 
friend, that was Rough Beast Part 3 by author Ryan Harville. You know, the Chekhov's gun principles state that if a gun enters the story in Act 1, it has to be fired in Act 3. Myself, I believe that if Tep gets laid in Act 3, we're in for a pretty saucy ending. Now, I'm no Chekhov, but we'll see what happens. A little about the author. Ryan Harville is a horror author from the Gulf Coast of Alabama. His newest book, Red Rains Down, is a collection of 13 tales of madness and vengeance of monstrous creatures and human monsters, and is available right now on Amazon. If you like your horror with a southern flavor, pick up a copy today for Kindle or in paperback. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan Harville Writing or subscribe to his newsletter by visiting his website, RyanHarvilleWriting.com, and clicking subscribe. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road. And may it rise up to meet you and all that. Remember to call your mother on Sunday and tell her Drew says she raised a fine listener. And until next week, friends, all of you can go fuck yourselves. (laughs) I mean that now. I'll do it too, don't worry. (laughs) Good night, friends. See you all next week. you know and trust is now Angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember Angie's list is now Angie and we're here to get your job done right get started at Angie.com that's A-N-G-I or download the app today Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. 
If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.